Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Rachel. And I'm Andrew. And we are Picture the Scene podcast, brought to you by Aura Studios. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. We bring you a new episode on a weekly basis, with Andrew mainly focusing on lesser-known crimes from the UK and Ireland. However, I like to take on some of the bigger, more well-known cases from time to time, and today is absolutely no different. Yay. (laughs) Yay. As we are a true crime podcast, listener caution is advised. And again, today is no different. Season 2, episode 25, entitled The Dark Side of Tinder, will take you on a journey across the pond all the way to Auckland, New Zealand. If you happen to like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. And wherever you listen, if you have the capability, then why not give us a rating and review as well? These ratings and reviews mean so much to us because not only do we love hearing from our wonderful listeners, but it does encourage other listeners to find us and come give us a try. Thank you to everyone who's left us a rating and review. Thank you. And if you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the cost of a small Americano on Patreon. We release bonus content every month. And we've also recently started taking recommendations from our lovely Patreon subscribers. Supporting our pod means the world to us. So thank you to each and every one of you. And with this in mind, I wanted to say a big thank you and shout out to our latest Patreon subscriber, Nicholas Nixon, who actually reached out to us and asked us to shout out and dedicate his subscription to his amazing wife, Zoe Nixon, who apparently ignited his passion for true crime. So thank you to Nicholas and to Zoe. Yeah, thank you both. And obviously, we'd never not shout your wife out, but it also means that we wouldn't ignore you either. So welcome, both of you. Glad you um, glad you like the pod. Thank you for supporting us. It does mean a world. And um, and yeah, and thank you for your kind words that you sent us as well. Much appreciated. Yeah, look forward to hearing your feedback on our back catalogue, guys. Indeed. And finally, for now, the links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or by visiting patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d. And finally, for now, the links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or by visiting patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d. So, Andrew, before we get into it today, how have you been since we last spoke? I've been great, thank you. Busy with work, busy with life, but all good. What about yeah. yourself? Absolutely. F- Full-on DIYing as well, hey? Well, my wife has, but yeah. Um, bravo. I thought you might try and take the uh, t- state the claim there, but no, bravo. Anyone who knows me knows that my best muscle in my head, in my body is my head, the rest of it. It's pretty useless. Mostly. Not at all. But yeah, all good. Thank you. Um, this way, yeah. Since we last spoke, I've won uh, a netball cup final. Yes, you're gold, gold medalist. Gold medalist, and everyone. I wish I could share the photograph of Rachel with a gold medal because I have never in my life seen anyone so happy as Rachel holding that gold medal. Guys, it, thirty-seven it, years of age and and a first-time gold medalist. I was going to be happy. It warmed my heart and it made my life feel complete. I didn't even win it. Oh, bless. I, I will allow you to put, a, put it on the socials if you want. Okay, then. I will do. Nice. Okay. Well, all that is left for me to say is, are you ready for some true crime? 
always. I was born ready. Oh, that's it. That's it. I could tell that was coming. Okay, well, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you all to sit back, relax, and picture the scene. Today, we're taking you back to Saturday, the 1st of December, 2018, to the bright lights and big city of Auckland, New Zealand. It's a beautiful summer's day with temperatures reaching highs of 24 degrees Celsius, that's around 75 degrees Fahrenheit. During the afternoon, the clouds had scattered through the sunny skies and the temperature grew mild later on into the evening, finally settling around 18 degrees Celsius, favorable for midsummer in the Southern Hemisphere. And it's here in the bustling city of Auckland on the 1st of December that we meet a young woman by the name of Grace Mullane, a 21 year old British tourist on a backpacking trip of a lifetime. Grace had graduated earlier that year from the University of Lincoln with a bachelor's degree in advertising and marketing. And she was from Wickford, Essex, a small town approximately 30 miles east of London with a population of just over 33,000. Uh, there was a reference to the Doomsday Book on Wickford, Essex, but I thought I'm not stealing your, um, your, your limelight on that. So I chose not to comment on it. Fair enough. Being such a small town, Grace had big dreams and had jumped at the chance to embark on a year-long solo backpacking trip around the world in celebration of graduation and before she headed back into the all-too-serious world of work. After spending the first six weeks visiting South America, she arrived in New Zealand on the 20th of November for a two-week stopover before she would continue on with her travels around the Southern Hemisphere. Throughout her trip, she'd been in constant contact with both her family and friends, sharing her experiences through her social media posts and also keeping everyone updated on her whereabouts via numerous texts with pictures of her, her exciting tours and travels and calls too. And I guess that kind of comes with the territory when you're a solo traveller. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, and I guess you'll meet people along the way, but you'll also want to like showcase and document everything to everyone back home because you are on your own and not living that experience with somebody you know well like on on your travels but just a short 24 hours following a date with a man her parents would be living their worst nightmare when grace who was due to celebrate her 22nd birthday on the 2nd of december failed to respond to any posts messages or calls she had quite simply vanished without a trace and it didn't take long for the malayan family to raise their concerns with local authorities in auckland and the police immediately launched a search for the backpacker, whilst trying to trace her last known whereabouts through security camera footage and the digital trail left by her mobile phone. Back to the 1st of December, and that evening, Grace had arranged to meet a Tinder date, Jesse Kempson, a 26-year-old local man who she'd hit it off with on the dating app. The two had arranged to meet in, a in the busy central business district of Auckland, where they proceeded to visit several bars in the city centre, including Sky City Entertainment Complex. Here, they would enjoy some drinks and play a round of mini golf. And I actually looked at the Sky City Entertainment Complex and it feels like it's one of those places where everything is under one roof. You can like go indoor skydiving. You can do like, yeah, they, they have those machines that like blow air up. Have you heard of them? <laughs> yeah, like... I like your description, but I know what you mean now. Yeah, where you hold, you've got like the wings and you go like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, and you can also like do a bungee jump indoors. It's it's just, there seem to be a lot of, of things going on in that, uh, in that complex. So quite, quite an interesting place to take 
someone on a date, especially if they're visiting uh, the city for the first time. Eventually, the pair returned to Jesse's hotel room at the City Life Hotel in central Auckland, where they were captured on the CCTV at the hotel at 9.40pm. This will be the last time Grace will be seen alive. So what do we know about Jesse Kempson? Jesse was born in Auckland and grew up in the city of Hastings, which is located to the east of the North Island of New Zealand. You're probably wondering why he was staying in a hotel if he was a local. And the answer is he was reported to be between residences at the time of Grace's murder. According to newspaper reports, he'd actually recently moved out of his apartment and was staying at the hotel temporarily whilst he secured a new lease. But there are also reports that he had intentions to stay in the budget hotel for, for some time and that he wasn't in any rush to like find a new permanent residence. Um, so yeah, a couple of conflicting reports around there. Jesse was already known to authorities as he had previous convictions for, for assault on his former partner along with threatening to distribute intimate images of her on the internet. And in addition, he also had a history of violence towards the opposite sex and had been accused of sexual assault by several women over the last couple of years. So just overall a, um, a not very nice person. And as our friend Bob over Tristan Britain would say, just a bit of a bad bastard. Yeah, I think that's a really nice summary of him. And that, that's the thing, like, he, he'd had convictions for, for the assault, but, you know, he was able to, like, carry on with, like, some quite awful behaviour. Like, some of his ex-flatmates would go on to kind of say, which I'll touch on towards the end of the episode, it, it would make this crime, that it should have been preventable because he shouldn't have been out and able to, to do what he did, essentially. Yeah. Back in 2016, he was also charged and convicted of stealing two vibrators and a sex toy from an adult store in Auckland. So once he was identified as being the last known person to see Grace before her disappearance on the 1st of December, it was checked on the police database. His name was checked on the police database. And police immediately grew concerned for Grace's safety and ramped up their search efforts, and rightly so. However, it would all be in vain. Only eight days after she was last seen alive and six days after she was reported missing, Grace's body would be found in a suitcase, buried in a shallow grave in a wooded area of a regional park just west of the city on the 9th of December 2018. The exact circumstances and the motive behind the murder are still very much unclear, as Jesse's version of events have changed multiple times, both during the investigation, at the trial and since. Just out of interest. If the suitcase was buried, how did they find it? So he was tracked, his his whereabouts following uh, the disappearance, and um, they were actually looking for, um, in that woodland area, they were looking for disturbed ground. Um, so it was discovered like as a disturbed patch of ground, and it was obviously um, uncovered um, as part of the investigation. That's a good place for it, like you said. That sounds obvious, but it's not well, so obvious because sometimes those things are just easily overlooked, aren't they? You're absolutely right. And uh, interestingly, it's something I make a comment on later. So we will put a pin in that for now, Mr. Ogden. Let's do it. Okay. After a series of inquiries and a collection of evidence mounting against him, including incriminating Google searches for flesh-eating birds, which was a particularly disgusting one, 
um, that uh, that was that's raised there, raised red flags. Uh, he also looked for the hottest fires. And also quite an interesting one, large bags near me. So obviously that's the suitcase, right? Um, it's a suitcase. It's just, just yeah. The, you can see the thought process. Uh, yeah. You you wouldn't you wouldn't be like in my opinion if you were going to Google for a suitcase you wouldn't be googling large bags near me. You'd put like duffel bag suitcase shop near me or something like large yeah. bags. Just yeah. I mean they come up with like the kind of Tesco shopper bags or something maybe. Do you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so these Google searches, um, along with more evidence, um, enabled them to arrest Jesse on the 8th of December. They discovered Grace's body the following day. It would transpire that upon the pair returning to his apartment on the 1st of December, just hours before the clock struck 12 and she was due to celebrate her 22nd birthday, Grace Mullane was strangled to death by Jesse Kempson. Shockingly, just hours after he took the life of Grace, he actually logged back into Tinder to arrange a date with another woman. And I think that that's like kind of shows the kind of guy that we're dealing with here. And I guess it's not touched on in the um, in the transcripts and, and things like that. But probably the potential signs for, you know, a serial killer, like in terms of his cool, calm, collected state, logging back into an app and kind of searching to identify his next victim. Yeah, definitely. As, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, did he intentionally mean to kill her or was it I mean, an argument gone wrong or she said no and he lost his temper or stuff like that. But then when you said he logged back in again, it makes me think maybe he intended to and he liked it. So he thought, why not have another go? Absolutely. And again, put another pin in that because we will go on to talk about that. Any more pins than I look like Hellraiser. <laughs> Jesse would actually go on to meet that date for drinks while Grace's body laid lifeless in a suitcase back in his hotel room. But luckily for his next victim, instead of the charming and charismatic Jesse who had come across to Grace on their first date, he actually came across as quite weird and unsettling, uh, which prompted her to cut short the date and leave, um, which likely saved her life do you think that because obviously he wouldn't have intentionally tried to be weird or unsettling no so do you, do you think that experience he had killing grace subconsciously altered his personality and maybe his um patience in putting a persona on to try and get a victim he just was more eager just to get a victim so he came across as weird and unsettling rather than fake and false yeah, because he'd never like executed his plan potentially, and he didn't know how to contain those those feelings. Yeah, like he had the, it... the bloodlust, maybe. Mm. And quite usually, we see, quite often, we see in the early stages of like these criminals building up their kind of um, attacks, and they progress, don't they? Like, like he has done through assaults, and then you know, um, sexually like aggravated uh, assaults, and. And now to to uh, to murder, um, he's not had that downtime to, you know, like get over it, I guess, and then go again. He's just gone straight back in to the game, um, probably not able to 
uh, catch his breath maybe and and calm his his emotions as well potentially do you think Rachel now I know you've never used Tinder I know I've never used Tinder I was watching with my wife there's a point to this side tracky I was watching with my wife the first season of Married at First Sight UK have you ever seen that no but I know the I understand the concept yeah um I hope so with a title but um <laughs> but so one You're of a bit the, cheeky today. One of the couples, they got married, but then like a couple of weeks later, and I hope it's like seven years old, so I hope I'm not spoiling this for anyone. But um she was messaged by her friend who said that she saw her new husband on Tinder active. And then like, wow. she she talked spoke to the camera where it says like he's at home, he can't come and meet me. Yeah, he's active on Tinder right now. Obviously, she left him and whatnot. But um, do you think it can become like an addiction? Having to like swipe left or whichever way you swipe to meet someone left or right. It's like another game, isn't it? Like essentially, because you don't, you only get the notification. Yeah, and you only get the notification that they too have swiped on you until you swipe on them and make that decision. And that in a sense is like, you know, like a, a free spin at a casino kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's that adrenaline boss, like to get that get that old up someone likes me type thing. We're so geared, aren't we, in society now to be on our phones and have everything accessible in that moment. And uh, you know, he's probably built up this rapport with Grace on Tinder and and had all that back and forth contact and then executed his his like date and the plan and then and then you know he's he's after his next one because yeah, there's there's an element of, oh, can I can I get away with it again, potentially, as well? Yeah, definitely. Okay. <clears throat> with the key suspect now in custody and the body located, New Zealand police had to build their case against Jesse Kempson, and build it they did. The plethora of digital evidence enabled them to piece together an exact timeline of events, as they gathered evidence from mobile phone records, social media interactions, and security camera footage on the 1st of December all of which helped the team establish the connection between Grace and Jesse, track their movements on the night of the murder, and pinpoint also potential locations of Jesse in proximity to where Grace's body was found eight days later. The police were then tasked with gathering sufficient evidence to link him to the crime. As we know, just because he's at the scene of the crime doesn't mean it will convert to a guilty verdict in court. So the team set about searching, closely examining his apartment, and the vehicle he rented to analyze forensic evidence, as well as conduct interviews with witnesses who interacted with the couple on the night of the murder. Given the high profile nature of the case, as it garnered like international attention across the world, um, not only because Grace was a tourist visiting the country, but also the crime rates in New Zealand are really low. Um, investigators and prosecutors took extra care to ensure that evidence was preserved and presented in a manner that would withstand scrutiny in court. This specifically included the police closely managing the chain of custody for physical evidence and working closely with forensic experts to analyse and interpret the findings so the trail of evidence would be a slam dunk for the prosecution, which I feel deserves a special call out, as how often do we hear when you've got a British tourist visiting a country, um, that ev- the evidence can be handled quite poorly or the, the, the crime scene as well, because the police can be so desperate to catch the culprit, close the case and make sure that like 
tourism for instance isn't affected as part of that like um process yes definitely and yeah they sound like a great police force whenever i think of the new zealand police force i think of have you seen the tv show called wellington paranormal no it's so funny he's hilarious but it's like a comedy and it's new zealand police and obviously the police are a little bit stupid in it so i, I get the picture of that in my head but actually it's a bit like brooklyn 99 never seen that um but this is set on like a documentary style type thing flying the wall but i see yeah they sound maybe it's because they don't have lots of bad crime that when they do they can pay more attention to it they're less desensitized you think or less harassed I, I actually think like believe it or not they were being harassed quite a bit um by international like reporters continuously uh. like everywhere they searched um, they were just like hounded in in 2018, um, especially the British press. So um, I don't actually think it it, it was that. Um, I just think that New Zealand was so shocked at what had gone on that it, it was almost from day one, like we have to handle this with absolute care and attention. And they kept the family up to date continuously as well, like. Grace's family went on to kind of commend um, the New Zealand police for like, you know, the fact that obviously they travelled to the country, but they were kept up to date with what was going on. And it it wasn't like a, a fight. They didn't have a fight in their hands to like gain information. That's good to know. I know sometimes we criticise the police, but I guess it's like every profession, isn't it? You get some yeah. people who are terrible at a job. Most people who were just good and mm. and some people are exceptional and this sounds like maybe these are within the exceptional bracket and though it wasn't just the police so for instance um jesse hired a car um he didn't have a permanent car um so he, he went to the car hire rental um which is where he put the suitcase and then drove out to the location the car hire company like really quickly tracked down the, the vehicle that was already out with somebody else but um, that was taken into police custody really quickly. Um, you know, obviously they were able to track the whereabouts of the vehicle, which is what led them to the woodland. Um, the the hotel um, were very quick to provide the CCTV footage of Grace entering the building, but not exiting it. Like everything was handled and, and to a certain extent, absolutely the police being on top of things. But the, the third party is that also supported the case um it was all executed really quickly and really well and again how often do we hear like i i think specifically of backpacking cases where um you know tourists have died and like people have been like oh no we, we scrapped the cctv or the camera's broken and you know we've not we've not looked around for anything else or the scene of the crime has been like contaminated you know um th- there were just so many things that that and um, were well executed as well in in this particular case. Sure. But that that for me, it was the fact that that chain of custody wasn't broken, and that they'd done their homework with the um the specialists. You know, the prosecutors had had made sure that when they were like bringing people in, um, like experts to testify, that they were actually like experts in the field as well, not just like loosely tied to, you know that that particular field or something that, that could therefore be contested 
The jury of 12 was sworn in on the 4th of November 2019 and the trial began. It was just 11 months after the backpacker went missing. During the trial, they would hear how Jesse had lured Grace into his hotel room the night before strangling her. Oh, sorry. The jur- during the trial, they heard how Jesse lured Grace into his hotel room that night before strangling her. The prosecution accused him of eroticizing her death too. He'd actually taken intimate photographs of her body, so like posing yeah, her. Yeah, um, and also he'd looked up pornography um, while she, she lay there, uh, dead in his room. His defense counter-argued that the pair were having consensual sex and that Grace had died accidentally during a consensual sex game gone wrong. So what, he he thought he'd finish himself off by looking at some porn? Yeah, like, it just doesn't sit well with me, but, like, how easy is it, without me going on to a rant about this, how easy is it to just say, oh, yeah, you know, she told me she was into, like, uh, what's it called, BDSM, and and yeah, so uh, it's not my fault I strangled her. Like you know, she she told me it was fine, um, and yeah, it it didn't like play out well. Luckily, um, it was a a story that the the jury went on to reject, um, due, due to like the evidence that we'll we'll go into in a minute. But um, it did actually cause fire up a debate in New Zealand on like BDSM and and the whole like rough sex defense and how it kind of normalizes violence against women when it comes to sexual acts which was really quite powerful you know a a conversation to be having because it was really easy for his defense to kind of come up with that luckily there was enough evidence to uh to argue it but it it just it does nothing for the victim and her family does it to for for people to hear even hear that story oh you're right. I was listening to the latest Twisted Britain yesterday. And while I have not fact checked this, they're normally right. They were mentioning on their episode that in Scotland, it's one of the few places where, usually around the world, if you kill someone but you don't intend to kill them, that's your defense, then it's manslaughter, not murder, mm-hmm. which is what maybe he was trying to get towards here by the sounds of it. But in Scotland, if you intend to hurt someone, so I guess that includes rough sex as well, because you're intending to hurt someone, but you don't intend to kill someone, if they die anyway, anyway then that's still just classic murder. Yeah, so, and which where you should be, shouldn't it? Absolutely, and then there's no like, there's no like weaker defense there around like, oh, it wasn't my fault, you know, because well, actually, you were engaging in like that rough sex and you know, you you knowingly caused harm to that person. And interestingly, I was chatting with somebody last week who worked in a state in America where if you served alcohol to somebody that went on to drive a car and kill somebody, you were culpable for the death of that person as well. So you, therefore, in that chain of command, had to think about your actions as a bartender, which I know is like really loosely coupled with that. But it's interesting because it makes us think more about like, about how we do behave in in situations like that, doesn't it? Like, and and being less like, oh, it's not my fault, because because everyone has a part to play. Exactly, exactly, exactly right. During the trial, evidence was also presented that suggested that Jesse had indeed premeditated the murder. Prosecutors argued that Jesse had searched online for ways to dispose of a body 
and had purchased cleaning supplies and a suitcase in the days leading up to the murder. So those Google searches were not in the wake of killing Grace. There you go, then. That's you can't deny that, can you? You can't. Yeah, that's how do you intend just to go and kill a stranger? I guess I guess we're not killers, are we, Rage? So we'll never understand that logic people justify things to themselves, but yeah. I know, I know. As we previously mentioned as well, he had he had also taken those intimate photos of her body after death. And like why do that if if a sex game had gone wrong, like your behaviors in the wake of that would be so different to like his behavior, right? Of taking the photographs, going back on Tinder, watching porn, like it's all built, it's all built up to like a, an awful picture. And that was coupled with the fact that he'd attempted to clean up the, the crime scene. So again, when those forensic experts had gone into the property, they were able to identify like blood, like DNA on the floor from the fa- like from the fact that like he'd like put her body in the suitcase and all sorts of like other things that had all mounted. Um, and then obviously finding like her hair in the boot of the car. You know, if, if again, if you've accidentally killed somebody, why have you gone to such effort to like clean up after yourself? Do you think these people that kill and get caught, so just the ones who get caught, because there's plenty who don't get caught, do you think that, let's say you get 20, 30 years in life, or in prison, or life in prison for a murder, do you think to them it's worth it because they've managed to act out that fantasy? Or do you think at some point they're like, I wish I didn't do that? I don't know how much they wish they hadn't done it, um, because that's that's an element of them having some sort of control over their actions. And I'd want to believe that ultimately he he couldn't control himself, if that makes sense. Like, because otherwise, like yeah. if you if you do, if you were able to control yourself and then that's even worse. But what I do believe is that a lot of these people genuinely think they'll get away with it. And oh, that's yeah. why they take out you know the precautions that they do like but the day and age in which we live in now with mo- even even mobile phone tracking like you know if you switch off your mobile phone in this day and age that is considered suspicious now like let alone having it with you there, there are cases being covered in the true crime world about individuals that leave their phone on at home and it's like even that's curious because you got a text message which you didn't answer or, you know, your phone was in the same part of the house for four hours. So are you telling me you didn't get up off the sofa? And yeah, in theory, you'd probably think, well, you know, whatever, the, there might be a plausible excuse to that. But even that is suspicious now. So these people who think they get, they're going to get away with it are, like, so out of touch. No, I get you. I get you. And I understand that majority of them have the confidence that they think they're going to get away with it, which is... Why do you got the confidence to do it in the first place? But I just mean also get caught, even if they think they're gonna get away with it. Do you think they are still happy they did it? And they where they prefer not to be in prison, they see the fact that they managed to kill someone and, and fulfill the fantasy, worth it. Potentially. Potentially. Say, it makes me actually think just then I popped in my head, there was a Scottish guy that I covered who killed someone and then he got released. Oh yeah. And he killed 
the dog walker, or he tried yeah. to kill the dog walker, he obviously, to him, it was worth getting caught, wasn't it? Because yeah. as soon as he could, he went out and killed someone again. Yeah. So maybe it is, yeah. Yeah, and that that's the thing, like, there are some very unfortunate cases where prison is not rehabilitating people, like we discussed in that episode, isn't it? Yeah. It's just holding them up for a period of time and then releasing them again to fulfil their like desires that they can't control, their urges. I don't think everyone can be rehabilitated, though. I know that's no. a full pod discussion, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And then that's where our sentencing system is a bit tricky because it it applies like basic logic, doesn't it, to a case um, yeah. of like X amount of years in prison, but not really then kind of addressing the like rehabilitation, the consequences of like serving the time, being re-relayed. In addition to the, all the forensic evidence that built up against him, ex-housemates of his had testified that Kempstead had made disturbing comments about his desire to kill people throughout his like early um, 20s. And he'd also expressed an unhealthy interest in strangulation. And interestingly, due to the level of interest on, on this particular trial across the globe, Jesse Kempson was not named during or after his conviction due to a court suppression order. And those who testified against him initially had their identities hidden as well. So imagine at the time, if those people that were called upon to, to testify against him um, knew of his desires and urges, imagine if his name had been shared wider in the backpacking community across the Southern Hemisphere or the world, how many more people might have come forward and said, you know, he raped me or he tried to he tried to attack me or he took images of me and published them on the internet like there's so much more that could have like come to light about him during the trial um that I guess they didn't they didn't want hence the the court suppression order but that was actually lifted a year later which is why we're able to obviously tell you his name so the 22nd December 2020 uh, that court suppression order was lifted I'm always in two minds about this because Part of me, and everyone's going to disagree with this, part of me, I don't like it when they release quite publicly, like release a name and say, we're looking for other people to come forward who may have been attacked by this person or, you know, victim of crime and against, by this person. And I just think sometimes, I understand why it has to be done, but sometimes it's like they're seeking, it's like confirmation bias, isn't it? They're seeking... The, they think someone's guilty before they've even been tried. And so they're seeking extra Yeah. And in this case, I guess I guess it plays into that theory that that could well have happened. So they and they didn't want to they didn't want to affect the case. And again, you know, maybe it worked in the favour of the the court system because you wouldn't want a trial, a mistrial, would you? You wouldn't know. I know, but I also see the point of doing that though. So I'm always torn because I always think like if someone, if some occasionally you get people who like that chap who accused several high-profile politicians—I forget his name—of sexually abusing him when he was a child and it being like a massive paedophile ring and whatnot. Like their names got released, and it took years, and their names were dragged through the mud. Where mm. it turned out in the end, he had like a mental health problem, and he made it all up. 
I and I bet you there are still people that haven't read the follow-up newspaper articles that they were like innocent. Exactly, but like, like the the names are put out there sometimes Damage by the done. police by saying we're looking for potential other victims of these people. So in that situation, I think like the damage, yeah, the damage is done. But in other situations, you've got to think how else are you going to find other victims or find other yeah. crimes? So it, it's so difficult. I'm I'm glad I'm not a policeman. Because it's so difficult. And I think, like, especially now at the minute, there's a lot of exposure, isn't there, on information that should and shouldn't be shared during investigations in into missing persons, murder inquiries, crimes in general. Like, very hot topic at the minute, isn't it? But um, if I take it back to, like, the Scott Peterson case that I covered a couple of episodes back... His alibi was shared with the general public. So all these people were coming forward saying that they saw his very generic car in a very generic place on this date with a very generic driver driving it. So, you know, it's crazy in some instances that we are allowed to hear that kind of information. Um, So I definitely agree with you. There is a fine line between what should and shouldn't be um, given. And I think that the information that is given can be heavily scrutinized in court and lead to like a mistrial or or a, a case being like um you know not properly uh, presented and and therefore somebody not being convicted because of information that was not handled correctly exactly yeah so following three weeks of evidence coupled with the hundreds of hours of painstaking police work and a year of grief for the Mullane family it all culminated in the moment that 12 jurors agreed unanimously that the now 27-year-old Jesse Kempson was guilty of murdering Grace Moline. Jesse was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum non-parole period of 17 years. So for those listeners not aware, this means that he will have to serve at least 17 years in prison before he is eligible to be considered for parole. The sentencing not only provided a sense of closure for Grace Moline's family, but also highlighted the importance of addressing the conversational topic of rough sex defence. So as we spoke about earlier, that was the defence used by Jesse during the trial. And it kind of it was a kind of a, a moment of that's not going to wash here that New Zealand had, had made uh, headlines for. Jesse actually tried to appeal his conviction just a year after his sentencing and just a month after, unfortunately, Grace's father uh, passed away following a, a short battle with cancer. But uh, he was thankfully unsuccessful with his appeal. And like I say, thankfully, because like I don't know what on earth anyone would be thinking with this kind of case and all the evidence that was brought against him. What on earth they'd have been thinking about entertaining the appeal, if I'm honest. That is my my personal opinion. You know, I agree. But then I'm not defending people for appealing here, but two reasons. A, I guess it's a legal right, but B... If you're looking at, um, sorry, how long did he get in prison again? 17 years before he is considered for parole. So if you're looking at a minimum of 17 years, I'd appeal even if I thought I wouldn't win, <laughs> just in case. And th- that's the thing, like, you're absolutely right. Everyone has a right to appeal, plus yeah, the, thankfully. Plus these people can get off on bringing everything back into the public again and what they've done. There's also that side of it that they... It's almost like an extra thrill for them, being able to go over the details in the courtroom. Yeah, That's the thing, actually. It was shortly after his appeal was rejected that he was named 
because you know there wouldn't be an opportunity for uh, for that to happen. So we mentioned earlier that the case garnered attention all around the world, and that is partly due to the fact that New Zealand in general has a very low crime rate compared to many other countries. So in 2021, I just kind of wanted to um, highlight it with some facts. The country's homicide rate was around 1.2 per 100,000 population. And that, if we compare it to the likes of the US, is at 6.5 per 100,000 population. So quite like a low crime rate. But the murder of Grace Mullane also captured and shook the nation, given the fact that not only was she a young, innocent tourist visiting from Britain and alone in the country, but also, and I know this sounds a bit wild, but everyone was kind of shocked by its it being so close to Christmas. Like when when a country like New Zealand is all about like values and family and you know and home and and all of this going on and you know the first of December full of hope for you know what's to come. They, they it really quite shook them because it was just like tragic in in such um like a a family led you know happy time the outpouring of emotion and sympathy for grace and her family was felt across the nation with various outlets reporting that new zealanders felt a deep sense of empathy and sadness for grace and her family who had lost their daughter in such a horrific manner while she was while she was visiting their country following the verdict there were public apologies from high-profile figures, figures including Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who expressed her condolences and apologised to Grace Mullane's family on behalf of the nation, where she should have been safe in their home. And what about Tinder's role in the crime? So there have actually been a number of high-profile cases worldwide where Tinder was involved in some way. But I want to stress that like the volume of those cases versus the actual volume of users on Tinder um, like it's it's tiny and I think that if you were gonna say that Tinder was involved in the crime in some way shape or form you'd probably argue that other social media platforms like Snapchat selling drugs Facebook connecting people you know and and other other things like that are responsible and you know they should be kind of named in these cases and I, I think that's probably like a can of worms if I'm honest exactly but, exactly but I think that it was an opportunity for us to highlight potential risks associated with online dating in general, not just through Tinder. And, you know, those risks are like meeting strangers, obviously, but also sharing personal information. You share a lot of your, like when you're building up conversations with people, you, you know, what, what's your favorite animal called? What's your, where did your mom grow up? Uh, oh, what's her, what's her surname? My mom might've gone to school with her. And, and, Profilers are gaining information about your like personal data uh, that can can help that they can help like farm out as well, not just like to cause any like crime against you as an individual, but you know they kind of give that information to, to companies that might misuse that, and also the possibility of encountering individuals with malicious intentions. Now, I just wanted to highlight that Grace took all the necessary precautions that night. She met him in a very busy place. Um, she kept to well lit areas. She was in touch with people. They were f- aware that she was on a date with him, which is why police were so quickly able to identify him as the last known person to be with her. And it was Jesse who took advantage of that. That needs to be like the key message here. Grace being on Tinder and going for a date played no part in in 
in her her death. But uh, what I did want to say is like we can mitigate those risks um, by taking steps like Grace did to meet in public places, telling friends and family about planned meetings, and also being aware of like red flags in the behaviour of the person you're meeting, either either in the run up to or during the date. Like you know, don't don't be afraid to call it short if something's not sitting well with you and do your homework as well like you know check out their friends on Facebook any mutual friends any people that might know the kind of profile that they've built and, and kind of vouch for them is always useful especially you know that only being really the case if you're in the country that they're in as well um, but since 2018 I did want to highlight that dating apps like Tinder have implemented safety features including photo verification and the ability to report or block suspicious profiles which improve like user safety which is really great to see and so like if somebody had have got in touch with tinder like post these safety features being implemented and saying this guy's a convicted you know rapist or attacker or you know whatever that looked like that there are now measures in place where users can do that well that's good because i always thought with tinder I always thought there must be so many people like catfish people, you know, like put tw- a photo that's 20 years old on it or use someone else's photo. But if, it, if they've got photo verification, then. Yeah, and obviously yeah. they can choose not to verify themselves, but the verification just kind of robusts that, you know, yeah. okay, they are, they are definitely who they say they are. And so before we wrap up today, I wanted to bring us back to Grace and the memory of such a kind, fun, and loving daughter, sister, granddaughter, niece, auntie, cousin, and friend, many, by ending with some very emotional excerpts from victim impact statements from the Mullane family. David Mullane, Grace's father, said, Grace was my sunshine, and she will be forever missed. She did not deserve to be murdered in such a barbaric way during her gap year. Her mother commented, Grace was never just a daughter. She was my friend, my very best friend. I'm absolutely heartbroken that you have taken my daughter's future and robbed me of so many more memories that we were going to create. And finally, her brother described the emotional toll his sister's murder has taken on him, saying the tears I shed are never ending at the thought of never having the chance to kiss my sister again. These victim impact statements really hit home on the truly awful, lasting effects that a tragic and pointless murder of a loved one has on all those left behind. It provides a powerful reminder of how precious life can be and how perpetrators of crimes do not just take the life of their victim, but they take a piece of their family and friends' lives too. This has been season two, episode 25, entitled The Dark Side of Tinder. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah. Um, interesting stories, interesting, interesting the case, but also the culture in New Zealand. It sounds like such a nice place. I've never been. I've known a couple of people from New Zealand. I know some of them now who is English, so they were nice people. But but yeah, it just sounds like it's a nation of, obviously with some exceptions, but a nation mm. of nice people. Wholesome, yeah. And so for one last time, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you all to relax, to close your eyes and picture the scene. You're new in a city, settled into backpacking life, and you've swiped right on a seemingly charming, charismatic guy who you've since agreed to meet. But is he really everything he's crept up to be? Okay, guys, thanks for listening today. Let us know your thoughts on the case. Yep, thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.